Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, let's go ahead and get started. You can open up to Revelation chapter 12. And let's pray as we move forward. Lord God, we again set aside time so that we can allow you and the things that are in scripture to have a effect on our lives, to make us think, to help us grow in our relationship with you and in our understanding of spiritual things and how we are to live here in this world. And I do pray, Father, that it would be helpful to us that you, by your spirit, would bring about the things that would be that would connect to each of us, Lord, even past what I share and what I say. May you be speaking in the needs of our lives, Lord, and we thank you for your faithfulness to do that, Lord. May we be faithful to allow you to do that. May we be attentive. May we fight off distraction. May I be clear in the things that I say and allow this time, Lord, to really be special. And we do ask this of you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week in chapter 11, it almost seemed like the book could end. Because it ended with John making a statement, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. And you would think, well, good, that's it, we're done, and let's go home. Um, Remember that he wrote that to people who have been praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So telling them that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord, I would imagine there would be some question, really? Because once they walk outside their doors, Rome is still there in all its power, and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It seems to be as strong as ever. And so I could see there being some question wondering, well, what's going to really take place? How is this going to shake up and transition? And John is redefining the kingdom And I think he's redefining Israel. He's wanting us and them to know what the kingdom of God looks like and how he can make a statement like that. The kingdom 
just the word by itself is a very political word, right? The idea of a kingdom is very much so one that has to do with uh, the political reign of that time. You would have a king, you would have a ruler, that's all part of a kingdom. And so Jesus, when he talked about a kingdom, it was very different than what they thought of when they thought of kingdoms. It wasn't ruling over. Remember, he would say something, you know, those who rule over you, you're not going to be like them, but the least will be the greatest. That's how it's going to be a part of this kingdom. Remember James and John when they wanted to call down fire from heaven and and consume those who were in disagreement with them, and Jesus rebuked them. He said, that's not how we're going to be doing things. Or when he told Peter, put away your sword. Don't you know that he who lives by the sword will die by the sword? Or even when he was before Pilate and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. He basically told Pilate, you don't have anything to fear from me. I'm not trying to assert you. My kingdom is different. He even arranged his own coronation, if you will, with the crown of thorns, right? The crucifixion. He set in motion what the kingdom of God looks like. And even though we like the sound of, you know, our God reigns and our God is greater, our God is stronger, all the things that we we sing, I wonder if we actually think about what that means. Because my mind many times goes back to what greater and stronger is, right? Greater is, you know, the ones who are on top. Jesus is greater is the servant of all. My stronger is the one who makes everyone else do what they want to do. Jesus is stronger, again, as a servant of all. And so we need to kind of rethink how we look at the area of kingdoms and how we look at that idea in the light of what Jesus has set in motion. So let's start at verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared by her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Let's stop there. That'll be enough right now. This past Sunday, a friend of mine came to church who I hadn't seen in probably 38 years. And he had painted 
for Ted and done some work in Ted's house. And Ted was talking to him, and Ted was telling him about church and things like that. And he said, oh, I used to go to church, and he's mentioning the places he used to go. And Ted goes, oh, I know those guys. Oh, yeah, I know that guy. And he goes, yeah, I used to, you know, go to church with a guy, Sam Scotty. And Ted was like, what? And he's like, that's our pastor. And he said, what? No kidding. And so it turns out, you know, he says, oh, yeah, I know him. And he ended up coming to church, and I painted with this guy years ago. Um, I used to go out, me and my then-girlfriend would go out with him and his wife back in the day. <laughs> like, looked at me, what? Um, and uh, we would go to church together. We'd go to different concerts and things together. And so we were very close a long, 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 long time ago. And so he came, and... I knew he was coming, and so I knew to look for him. But when I saw him, there is no way I would have recognized him after 38 years, and no way he would have recognized me, right? It's just 38 years does something to you, and it changes who you are. I mean, afterwards, you see, and I go, okay, now I see it. But without the understanding and that background, I, he would have come to church. I never would have known who he was because he just looked different. And I, I think it's... One of those things with John and his writings here, unless he gives us some clues to who these people and these signs are, we're really kind of left groping. But fortunately, he does give us a couple of clues so that we can get an idea of who the woman is and who the baby is. And the child, we know from... What it says in verse 5, will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. That's a quote from Psalm 2. We know that that's referring to the Messiah. We know that's referring to Jesus, which gives us then some understanding of who the woman is. And really, there's kind of three options. There's one, it's Mary. And this is actually talking about the birth of Christ. And there are some things that seem to fit right where Herod is trying to kill them and she's having to flee and go out to the wilderness. Um, it could be Eve, uh, where it is talked about how you will crush the serpent's head, he will bruise your heel, and there's a thought that this is leading on just to humanity. Or the third thought is that it's actually referring to Israel. And that's the one I lean to because of some of the things that are mentioned later on that really connect us to Israel that we'll talk about as it talks about she's being carried away uh, on the wings of an eagle. That's very descriptive of Exodus when Israel was fleeing Egypt. There's the 12 stars around her head, which would signify probably the 12 tribes. And so remember that Israel now is no longer considered just an ethnic group. To those who are following Christ, Israel was a promise. Remember when we went through Romans, that Paul talks about a new Israel, that not everyone who claims to be Israel is Israel, but God still has a purpose for Israel, but not ethnic Israel. It is the idea of Israel and what Israel represents. And so also notice that it says a sign appeared. It doesn't say a woman appeared. It says a sign appeared. And so this woman is a sign. 
And it's important to understand that because that's part of this book. All these things are very figurative. They're supposed to ignite our imagination. They're supposed to give us illustrations that help us connect the dots to things that are taking place. And so it's a sign more than it is a person. And so I believe that the woman is referring to Israel and what Israel is supposed to be, that Christ came from Israel, the promise, and Israel represents that promise of God. It's been called both the daughter and the bride of Yahweh in Scripture. And so definitely can see that there is that kind of gender relation attached to Israel in some places. But so many times Israel was an unfaithful bride, or the illustrations in the Old Testament were. But through Christ, now he has brought about a faithful bride, not just in Christ himself, but in all those who follow him who make up this new Israel. Okay, And so here we've got the scene. Again, it's pretty imaginative. Right? We've got this dragon, and we're going to find out a lot more about the dragon in times to come. We have the child who is the Messiah. We have the woman who I believe is Israel, all here in this picture. And it's pretty, you know, significant. I mean, it's pretty tumultuous. It's a lot's happening here. So let's go on in verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. I don't know. That sentence just made me stop, right? War broke out in heaven. I, that's just an uneasy sentence right there. Whatever he's saying, it makes me a little uneasy, right? Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth. And his angels with him. Now we see some sort of victories taking place in this war in heaven. Michael, the angel, is referred to in Daniel chapter 10. It's very similar in this battle, this kind of heavenly battle that's taking place, uh, this war in heaven. But we start to see that there's more going on than just what is spelled out here. There's more than just Michael and his angels and the dragon and his angels fighting it out in heaven. Whatever all that means. If we go on in verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now this is after this supposed victory, right? They were too strong. They were cast down out of the heavens. And then we hear the voice say, now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. So after this battle in heaven, we see now the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah has come for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows 
that his time is short. Another thing that we got to get to. The battle begins in heaven with Michael and these angels, but victory in verse 11 is ascribed to those who triumphed by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Those who have been martyred. Who's winning this battle? And is this battle maybe more than what we're just reading in those first few verses? The heavenly reality of a victorious battle is joined. It's connected, kind of like a child with an umbilical cord is connected to their mom, to this earthly reality of the martyrs giving their life for Christ. There's some sort of connection that is taking place in this heavenly realm, in this battle with Michael and the angels, and the dragon and the angels, and the martyrs. As they follow the Lamb, as they believe they've been saved by his blood, and The self-giving death now is a pattern, it seems, which they follow, and that now wins the battle. It's very illuminating in how we start to see this battle and the idea of kingdom taking place. Because, again, it's not about establishing your rights And taking control, it's about controlling by sacrificing and giving and loving. And what looks like just this, you know, we beat them up and kick them out in heaven, shows up and we died for him here on earth. And somehow they're connected. And I don't know all the ways that it takes place, but We are being connected by these two intentionally because it is very significant how we see victory. It is very significant how we see the idea of the kingdom now being one, that the authority of the Messiah now taking place, and here are the saints being martyred. it almost seems like they don't make sense. How can you say that victory has been won when here we are dying? Unless the here we are giving our lives. I mean, the the way it reads is so powerful. Again, it just touched me when I said they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That's Jesus. Right? That's a picture of Jesus. And now it's a picture of these people. And now it's a picture of victory. And how it shows up in this kingdom and in heaven. The early followers of Christ were very familiar with the struggles and what they were up against and how they were supposed to live. As an example that Christ left. The idea of the accuser, as it mentions there, accuses them before our God day and night. He's been hurled down. They were accused of a lot of things. They were accused of being atheists, not believing in any gods because they didn't go to temple. They didn't have sacrifices. They didn't have idols. 
And so many people thought they don't believe in God, these followers of Christ. They were thought of being as cannibals because they talked about eating his body and drinking his blood. And so people said, oh, they're cannibals. They, they you know, eat human flesh and they drink blood. I mean, there was just a lot going on in these ideas and the things that were established here. They were thought of to be insurgents as well. Because they would actually not bow to Caesar and would acknowledge Christ as their king. Right? So they were accused of a lot of things. And so they have an idea of these accusers because these accusations would actually lead to their persecution. You don't worship Caesar. You need to bow. Otherwise, you're thrown into you know, the arena with the lions or else you're going to be killed for not recognizing that. You do not do these things, so you're not allowed to buy in this city because this city worships the goddess Diana and all these trades are, you know, basically dedicated to her. And so we accuse you and it affects you and it causes persecution in their life. And so they were aware of this idea of the accuser and now it's being said that he's being hurled down. They have triumphed. But the triumph is in heaven. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. That's another thing that just caught me. His time is short. It doesn't seem short. Right? It, it, it just... It doesn't seem like it's been short. And really something is being portrayed here, even though the battle is going on, that is supposed to be helpful to those who are in the middle of the struggle. The heavenly realities of victory, the earthly reality of the martyr's death, following the lamb, giving their lives, and their battle is being won, but they're still in the battle. And so they recognize these things as the battle goes on. In verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and a half of time. And I don't know what those times, times, and a half of time mean. Just letting you know because I looked and I don't know. And then out of the serpent's reach, verse 15, then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to rage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and who hold fast their testimony about Jesus. They are to know 
They are to celebrate the victory, and it's a great victory which has already been won. The accuser has no place anymore in heaven because of what Christ has done. Jesus is the victor, right? Jesus claimed in Luke 10 that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven when he sent the disciples out and they continued the work that he was doing. Very symbolic of what we see here as well. He has nullified the charges. Christ has nullified the charges of the accuser that he would normally bring, but he's still doing his best in this time that he has remaining, even though it's called the time is short, to attack the woman who has now fled into the wilderness. And, and this is a quote from Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. It says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. There is this idea of leading them into the wilderness out of Egypt. And it's very symbolic here. And again, this is why I think it's referring to what Israel was supposed to represent here. And so, in other words, what John is saying to the readers at that time, those who are hearing and praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, those who are hearing there's been victory won in heaven, the accuser has been dealt with, those who are going to have to go back outside and deal with Rome there, he is saying to them that they are part of this drama that's taking place because there's been victory won and the woman is now escaped what Israel was and represented, but now the dragon is going after her offspring and, and that's you. So you're playing a part in this drama. Don't be surprised that the dragon's out to get you with all the ferocity that he has because there's already been a defeat. He's angry because of all that he's already lost. And so out of his anger, he, he spews out this flood, right? And then they're to trust that God will take care of them, that the God of creation will look after you. It's so interesting that the earth comes to the woman's rescue. Right? It's the God of creation. Remember in chapter 11, it said that destroying those who destroy the earth, there was a judgment on those who actually destroy the earth. And now here the earth is coming to the rescue. It's interesting that the God of creation is actually showing up in his creation, which again challenges the, the belief that God doesn't care, it's all going to burn, and it doesn't matter what happens, that this creation is done with, and God has to just bring another one. Well, he's using creation to bring about victory here, which I think is interesting, and he was judging those who destroyed the earth in the last chapter. And he's telling them they have to expect, though, there's more to come. You're part of the battle. I want you to know the backstory. Right? There's already been victory in heaven. 
and those who have martyred have lives have been martyred are actually a part of that victory and Christ was crucified resurrected and ascended into heaven he he's escaped and he's hurled the dragon down in victory but now here you are dealing with the aftermath of that victory but you see you're still a part of the victory but now the dragon is after you because you represent the victory and he's trying to help them understand what's going on to expect that there's going to be more false accusations woe to the earth and the sea it says in verse 12 because the devil has come down to you in great anger right knowing that his time is short and so the decisive battle that's been won but the basic nature of the accuser is still driving forward right this accuser is still doing what he does more and more frantically to the attack to the accusers where it, it's trying to drag down slander vilify get anyone to deny the truth of what the creator god and his son the lamb have accomplished and are accomplishing you see it doesn't look like victory but it's winning it doesn't look like victory from those who are used to victory being power and coercion over others but it's victory because it's changing all of creation and creation is in line with what is happening and what god is doing and this is the ongoing battle which they and which all followers of christ are engaged right we all have to deal with the problems the evils the things that are here we don't deal with the persecution that they dealt with but we still deal with things we still have to deny self right we still have to follow the example of Christ who didn't love so much their life that they would shrink away from death sometimes our death is different than physical death sometimes our de- death is selfishness right sometimes our death especially in our society that's so affluent is not giving into that consumer mentality and just thinking about our own comforts and disregarding everyone else's right i mean there's there's a lot of areas that victory needs to still be won in and the battle still rages whether we recognize it or not but the picture that john has sketched out in the chapter is trying to encourage and warn his readers and all those even us today right that this is just the opening scene that there's still more to come even though the time is short prepare yourself because there's going to be some more battles there's going to be more that goes on eugene peterson wrote in his book reverse thunder thunder he has this question can promise outlast horror and that just struck me can promise outlast horror and you see john is saying yes and he's trying to give all his readers a shot of adrenaline to their faith and saying you guys it's done he's reeling 
Look how he's coming after you. It's because he's desperate. Look how much you are changing the world around you, even though they have the power to put you to death. You see, Rome underestimated the politics of grace. And they stand before the dragon now, these followers of Christ, unafraid. Because they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And their leader, our leader, has already proven that life is stronger than death. And so this chapter is John encouraging the readers that victory is won. The accuser has been dealt with. There was a war in heaven, and the victory was won by those who gave their life here on earth. And the dragon is furious, but his time's short, and he's going to accuse, and he's going to come after you. With all that he has, right? That to those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Their testimony about Jesus. The testimony about Jesus is testifying, declaring all that Jesus means. It's taking side with Jesus and how he lived his life. It, it is siding with the kingdom that shows up and coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. Right? It shows up by going to a cross and giving his life a ransom. It shows up by being leased. But in heaven, it is the greatest. And all of creation is in line with what God is doing. The dragon is fighting against creation itself. We fight against creation itself when we are in opposition to Christ because he is the representation of all that God is doing. Any questions? Okay. Well, Remember Paul in Romans talked about there is a new Israel. And basically he is trying to link those people who were waiting for a Messiah to the fact that the Messiah was here. So Christianity is a Jewish faith. It started off that way. Right? It didn't start off Christian, it started off Jewish. And so the connection to the tradition of the Old Testament is very strong. It's part of their heritage. And so the declaration of them being Israel is trying to reclaim God's intention for Israel because Christ fulfilled what Israel failed to fulfill, right? Because God's promises to Israel were fulfilled, but not by Israel. They were fulfilled by Jesus. And now they're being fulfilled by all who follow Christ. And they are true Israel.
that's what Paul says in Romans. And so, um, you know, and, and again, we got to be careful that we don't put all Jewish people into one situation um, because Jewish means more than a, a belief system. It actually is a, an ethnic group. Um, and so there's a lot of people in the ethnic group who are Christian. There are a lot of people who are atheists, right? A lot of people who don't believe in the traditions that, you know, we think of when we think of Judaism. And so I, I think it's important to recognize, especially in the first century, there was a big struggle what to do with these people who were following Christ who came from the Gentile world. Right? In Acts chapter 11, there was a, a council where they wanted to say, what do we do with these Gentiles who are coming in? We, you know, some were saying, well, they need to start following the law. And then Paul said, no, that's not the intention. The whole purpose of the law has been done with now that Christ has fulfilled it. We don't need to go backwards. And so there was actually some who wanted to make Christianity a different sect of Judaism. And because it was so different, it never became that way. Because they didn't follow the traditions. They didn't, you know, eat the foods. They didn't keep the Sabbath and all the laws that followed the Sabbath. They didn't follow all those things that were so important to them, yet they still claimed to be a part of the promise. And so I think him saying or us thinking that it's Israel, the woman is Israel, is in line with what was happening in the early church and what they thought. Today, yeah, I could see why we would think differently. But remember, we have to interpret it as it was written, what the intention was of the writer at that time so that we have a clear understanding. Does that make sense? I mean, there's definitely... Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, there was definitely a missing of the point, you know, that took place. That's why Jesus said, you search the scriptures, you think in them, you have eternal life, but they are that which speak of me. In other words, you get a clear understanding of what the scriptures meant by looking at me more than you do your interpretation and reading, which is what we should do even with the New Testament, by the way. Right? I think we should look at Jesus and decide how we interpret the New Testament. Um, but yeah. Any other thoughts? Well, the dragon is going to continue out throughout this book. Um, we're going to see the red dragon coming out. I think as we come, as it comes out a little bit more, we're going to start to see that it, the red dragon really is representative of empires and, well, or the seven hills where Rome was. Um, yeah, there's a lot of ideas. But I think it represents more than that. I think it was meant to point to Rome, but it's also to point to governments that rule in this way, rule by power, rule by, um, you know, manipulation, rule by uh, coercion uh, that have within their self almost a, a worship of that um, government, you know, I mean, it's interesting, and, and I could get in a lot of trouble with some people when you say this, but people worship the United States, right? And, you know, I think I said this once, you know, when you have a flag pull and you're supposed to put whatever nation is, the, you know, the one you are 
part of on top. Well, if you have a Christian flag and an American flag, which one do you put on top? And a lot of people say the American flag. Now, I don't think a Christian flag means anything, right? But the whole idea is, oh, no, country first. And there is a idolatry that can take place, you know, in any country, not just the United States, right? It can happen in any country where your country, your government becomes your source of, you know, uh, solidarity. This is what I am a part of. And so, you know, God is with us. Why? Because we are the good guys, you know. And you'll find in every war, God is always with, you know, both parties according to them. Right? I mean, they're all endless. Yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of quotes from the different books, and there's a lot of symbolism. You know, the dragon always did represent a serpent or evil. Um, you know, here he spells it out, the devil. But then we're going to see that it, the devil shows up just like the battle showed up on earth, even though it took place in heaven, you know. Michael and his angels won, but it was won by the martyrs who gave their lives for Jesus. Who won? It's kind of like, you know, in football, you know, the quarterback throws the ball, but if someone doesn't catch it, you know, it takes the two of them to make the play. And then it takes the offensive coach to make the play. And then it takes the main coach to hire the offensive coach. And then it takes the owner to hire, right? I mean, there's a whole lot more going on than just what we're seeing. There's a lot of depth to what's happening in this scenario here. But it's very much a drama, right? Oh, there's this attack and there's this battle going on and it shows up down here. And now he's really inviting them to see themselves as part of this. Yeah. And again, it, it's meant to inspire the imagination. Remember, they didn't go to the movies, right? They didn't go watch Star Wars and, you know get something that touched them or watch Braveheart or whatever. And, oh, man, that was such a great movie. They told stories. That was their theater. You know, and so they would tell a story and they might act it out or something. But when someone would read something like that, they'd be all in. It was like a big screen TV. Having something like this would just be capturing them. And they'd probably be going, the dragon, what's that, what's that? Oh, Michael, I know Michael. Oh, oh, that's... And they'd be putting all these scriptures together, and then they would start to start... Oh, okay, I see what's going on. And then they'd probably talk about it for hours, you know. Yeah, definitely. Any other thoughts or questions? No? Let's pray. Father, I do... Thank you again for these words. I know, Lord, that they have really um, shaken me in a lot of ways, Lord, have made me think of what it is to live a life that doesn't shrink from death, what it, live, what it is to live a life that represents you and to follow after you completely. Lord, to think about war in heaven, to think about the battle being short, and, and Lord, all that's coming in between. Lord, there's to be such hope, but there's to be such vigilance. We are to be a part of what is happening and see ourselves as moving the victory forward, not just waiting for it to take place. And I pray you would help us to 
live in that place, Lord, even as our brothers and sisters did all those thousand years ago, Lord, and actually did give their lives and set the foundation for us being able to be here today. Uh, Lord, we live in such a great legacy. May we allow that legacy to continue through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.